So for those of you who don't uh, know who I am, or maybe you don't remember me because I haven't been here for so long, it seems like, uh, I'm Mark Hart, and uh, it's just an honor to be able to speak on behalf of uh, Dan and uh, his family who are traveling for the next couple of weeks. So like I said, it's an honor to be up here and a privilege to, to be able to, to speak to you today, and especially on, on Mother's Day. And I think at this time, I'd like to have uh, all the mothers and mothers-to-be would you please stand so that you can be recognized? You can be seated. Well, today we're here to uh, pay tribute and, and honor to our to our mothers and and those mother figures in our in our lives. And I think of first of all, you know, my mother and how her influence on me has put me where I am today, has guided me where I am today. And I think of my mother-in-law, Sue, who couldn't be here today, but I think of how she impacts my life, my family's life, my kids' lives, and I'm thankful for her. And I'm most importantly, I'm thankful for my wife and what she does for our family. I uh, got a card this morning and uh, filled it out and and Gracie, you know, right at the last minute is getting up out of bed to come to come to church. And I said, hey, you got to got to write in your card here real quick for mom. Sign it. So she real quickly, she signed it and she wrote a little something in there. And I didn't read what it was until afterwards. And I don't know what all she said, but the thing that stuck to my mind was, mom, you're the glue that holds this family together. Mom, you're the glue that holds this family together. And that's true. For sure in my family and probably in your families as well. I, uh, I'm in the military and, and I, I travel a lot, uh, during, doing military events, military training. Uh, I'm gone all the time. And if it wasn't for, for my wife, if it wasn't for Nikki and the glue that she holds us together, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today either without, without that. So for that, I thank you. And they're back there chuckling now. So. <laughs> I was on Facebook this morning, as I you know, usually am in, in the mornings, and usually I'm on Marketplace because I'm looking for something. I'm always looking for something to buy, but uh, I was on Facebook this morning, and I was scrolling through, and, and see, I saw you know, everybody was posting about uh, Mother's Day, and it reminded me, not everyone here has their mother with them any longer. Not everyone here has, has their mo mother here with them to tell them how much they mean to them, how much they love them, how much they care for them. So I, I think it's fitting that we, we take this time also to remember our mothers that, that aren't with us here today and be considerate of that and come alongside those, those of us that uh, maybe don't have our mothers with us here any longer. And it just reminds us that uh, um, to not take, to take for granted for the mothers that we do have here with us today to tell them how much they mean to us Tell them how important they are in our lives, just to tell them that they love them. And I wanted to, uh, wanted to read a little bit of history uh, to give you an idea about uh, where, where Mother's Day came from. And it, it starts with Anna Jarvis. She was born in 1864 and lived to 1948, who was the first suggest, who suggested the national observance of an annual day honoring all mothers because she had because she had loved her own mother so dearly. At a memorial service for her mother on May 10, 1908, Miss Jarvis gave a carnation, her mother's favorite flower, to each person who attended. 
And within the next few months, the idea of a day to honor mothers gained popularity. And Mother's Day was observed in a number of large cities in the U.S. And then on May 9, 1914, by an act of Congress, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. And by then, it had become customary to wear white carnations to honor departed mothers and red to honor the living, a custom that continues to this day. So many of us men are not very good with with words, are we? So Hallmark estimates that 150 million Mother's Day cards will be sent out this year. I bought one of them this morning. But only 95 million, yeah, I was a little bit late, only a little bit late. I was up early, but uh, only 95 million cards for Father's Day, making Mother's Day the third largest greeting card holiday of the year. And if your favorite love language is receiving gifts, nothing says Happy Mother's Day better than a gift from that special woman, for that special woman. It's estimated that Americans spend on average of $105 on a Mother's Day gift and $90 on a Father's Day gift. I got mine yesterday, so I was a little bit ahead. So a little bit under the curve on the average, but, uh, but we're, we're getting close. So, And if you can't be with your mom today, you better give her a call. I did that this morning already, too, so I wouldn't be up here preaching to the choir, right? They say the phone rings more often on Mother's Day than Father's Day. And I would suggest that you don't send a text. If you did, you still got plenty of time left today. I would give her a call. I would give her a call. Our mothers teach us quite a bit, and and so I wanted to go through some uh, some things that our mothers teach us. And you can probably help us out here, mothers, because you've probably said a few of these phrases in the past as well. Our mothers taught us to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. (laughs) Our mothers taught us about religion. You better pray that will come out of the carpet. Our mothers taught us about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Our mothers taught us logic, because I said so, that's why. Our mothers taught us foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Our mothers taught us irony. Keep crying, and I'll give you something to cry about. Our mothers taught us about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. (laughs) Our mothers taught us about stamina. You'll sit here until all that spinach is gone. And our mothers taught us about weather. This room of yours looks like as if a tornado went through it, Gracie. (laughs) Our mother taught us the circle of life. I brought you into this world, take you out. Our mothers taught us about behavior modification. Stop acting like A two-year-old, stop acting like your father. (laughs) Our mother taught us about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. Our mothers taught us about anticipation. You just wait until you get home. Our mothers taught us about receiving. You're going to get it when you get home. Our mothers taught us about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, the wind will change and you'll stay that way forever. Our mothers mothers taught us about how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. Okay, I'm going to give you one more shot. Our mothers taught us about genetics. 
you act just like your father. Twice. Our mothers taught us about roots. Shut that door behind you. You weren't born in a barn. Our mothers taught us wisdom. When you get to be our age, you'll understand. And finally, our mothers taught us about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I, I hope they turn out just like you. <laughs> mothers teach us a lot of things, don't they? It's no surprise that they also teach us about faith in God. I think there's a perfect example of, of that uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it, this is a letter that uh, Paul wrote to, uh, to the church in Ephesus, uh, specifically to the leader of that church, Timothy. And I'm going to read uh, the first five verses. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. You know, we might have joked about what our, what our mothers taught us, but uh, if, you, if you know anything about uh, Timothy and, and Paul, uh, Timothy was a young uh, leader in the, in, the, in the church at the time. Uh, he was the leader of the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was going through a very uh, difficult time of persecution and oppression, and uh, Timothy was very discouraged about where, he, where the church was at at the time. And Paul is writing to uh, Timothy from prison in Rome, uh, probably just before Paul was, was executed, um, he was writing to Timothy, encouraging Timothy, and reminding Timothy of where his faith came from. It came from his grandmother and his mother. It came from those mother figures in his life. And he was, he was imparting that wisdom and encouraging him to continue to be faithful like his mother and his grandmother taught him to be. And so it's, it's important that we recognize how impactful and what an impression our mothers and our mother figures can have in our lives like it did young Timothy. There's a story that I, that I recently read as I was uh, preparing for this uh, message and, and, and I thought it was very, very fitting for probably a lot of, lot of mothers and hopefully you can relate to this and, and uh, it's, it's titled A Mother Whose Life Was Not Wasted. It says, a pastor tells about visiting an elderly lady who was standing in her kitchen weeping. She wiped her eyes with the corner of her apron. And when the minister asked her what was the matter, she confessed, I'm just so miserable and unhappy. Well, why is that? Because I've done so little for Jesus. When I was just a girl, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I did so very much want to live for him. Well, haven't you? asked the minister. Yes, I, I've lived for him, but, but I have done so little. So he asked, what, what, well, what have you done? He said, I've washed the dishes, I've cooked three meals a day, I've taken care of the children, I've mopped the floor, mended clothes. That, that's all I've done all my life. And I wanted to do something for Jesus. The preacher sitting back in his armchair looked at her and smiled. So where, where are your boys? Oh, my boys, you know, you know where Mark is. You ordained him and... And now he's in China in the mission field preaching for the Lord. Why, why are you asking? 
Well, where is Luke? Questioned the minister. Luke, well, he went, to, uh, he went out from our church. You sent him off to the mission field in Africa. And then she, be, then she became so happy and excited, and, and she continued. And, and the pastor asked her, well, well, where's your son Matthew? Well, he's with uh, uh, his brother in China. And then, uh, and then she says that her 19-year-old came up to her. John came up to her. Yeah, I'm using all the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just to protect the names of the innocent. Now, he's my baby, and he's only 19, and he's a great boy. And he came to me, and he said, Mother, I, I've been praying, and, and tonight in my room, the Lord spoke to my heart. And, and what do you suppose the Lord told me? I've got to go to the mission field with my brother Luke in Africa. The minister answered, And you say your life has been wasted in mopping floors, mending clothes, washing dishes, and doing trivial tasks. I'd like to have your mansion when you're called home. You see, that illustration is just an example of the many ways that we can impact the kingdom of God. There can be purpose in everything that we do. Some of us are called to impact lives, impact the kingdom of God by living a godly life in the home. Some of us are called to impact the kingdom of God by going in the mission field around the world, on the other side of the world, and then anywhere in between. It's up to us to find out what God's purpose is for us, what God's called us to do. Own that and then obey what God has called you to do. Wherever he's called you to be, that's what you should be doing. I want to consider another biblical example of a, of a godly mom and, and really focus the message around, around that today. And it, and it comes from a, a story in the Old Testament, and it's probably uh, very well could have been a, a story that uh, Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mom and grandmother, uh, referred to as, as they were um, preparing Timothy for his, uh, for his ministry and, and how they became godly parents or godly mothers themselves. And, and it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to look at the, the life of Hannah and, and glean some principles of what a godly mom looks like. So if you will, I'm going to read through uh, Hannah's story. It's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 24. It says, There was a certain man from Rathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for the Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and also her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery 
and remember me and not forget where your servant not forget your servant but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head I can't say that that's happened to me <laughs> as she kept on praying to the Lord Eli observed her mouth Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard Eli thought she was drunk and said to her how long are you going to stay drunk put away your wine not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning, Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And when her husband Elkanah went up to all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to his Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go this time. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best for you, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. I think there are four important characteristics that we can take from this passage today. And I'd like to share those with you. And, and I know I'm talking to mothers, but, the, but these, these characteristics are, are for, for the men as well as it is for the women and the mothers and the teenagers and the, and the kids. These are characteristics that we can all apply in each of our lives. And I don't expect every one of us to be perfected, to have these perfected by the time we walk out of here, but they are checks on where we are when we walk out of here and if there's something that you're struggling with it's a, an opportunity for you to recognize that and, and it can be something that you can work towards improving because we all struggle with all of these these are some these are some very tough characteristics that we all struggle with but it's an example that God has given us that we can that we can live by first of all is a godly mom is obedient to God a godly mom is obedient to God. Verse 3 says, Year after year, this man went up to his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord was closed, had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her revival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. You know, it's, it would have been easy for, for Hannah to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity. You're going to uh, Shiloh to, to do the annual worship and sacrifice. I'm going to take this opportunity to stay back and, and not have to deal with Penina and the provoking and the irritating that, that she did. It would have been easy for her to not be obedient to her father, Heavenly Father, and just stay back and take, take some time to herself. But she was obedient to her father, 
to her heavenly father, and she went anyways. It's easy for us to make excuses not to come to church sometimes. You know, about every Sunday morning, Satan comes into our house and, and tries to do things that makes it difficult for us to get to church. I thought we had it beat this morning, but about five minutes before we left, Zeke had a meltdown. And it, it never fails, it never fails. Something will happen that will cause you to be frustrated and get off of your focus for, for the day. And, and, and Satan will, will, will try to get into your life any way that he can. Hannah overcame that. She was obedient to God. She went despite what she knew was going to happen about being provoked and made fun of. And in that time, it was, it was looked upon poorly as if you were um, sinful or cursed if, if you were not able to have a child. So she was made fun of all the time by her, by her rival. But despite that, she was obedient to God. So what, is it, what does it mean to be obedient? What, what, is that, what does that mean? I looked up a couple of uh, uh, dictionary um, definitions of that, and, and one Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says that uh, biblical obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. And another Bible dictionary says true hearing or obedience involves a physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief or trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with the speaker's desires. Biblical obedience to God means to hear God's word, to trust it, to submit to it, to surrender to God and to his word. Now, I listed several um, reasons why we should be obedient, and I just want to cover uh, just a couple of those. And, and the first one, and, and, and most important, is that Jesus calls us to be obedient. He calls us to obedience. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So first and foremost, Jesus calls us to, to be obedient to God. And another one, obedience to God demonstrates our faith. Obedience to God demonstrates our faith. When we obey God, we show our trust and our faith in him. Just like that definition explains. It's, a, it's an action upon what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross, that he lived a perfect life, that he was resurrected on the third day. We believe that. We should be living according to that, and we should be trying to live according to the way Jesus lived his perfect life and trying to attain that. We'll never attain it. That's why I said we're not, none of us are perfect, and as we go through these examples, none of us are perfect. We're never going to attain it, but it's a journey, and it's a process that we go through. And we shouldn't be doing it out of obligation. We shouldn't be trying to be obedient just out of obligation. We should be doing it because we're, we're grateful for the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Uh, another one, through obedience, we gain spiritual growth. Through obedience, we gain spiritual growth. Like I said, Jesus Christ is, is, is the perfect example of living a, an obedient life. And, and, and he's the example that we are to follow and try to, try to attain. And, and as we do that, the Holy Spirit works inside of us and transforms us to be more and more like him. But we have to be in the word. We have to read the word. We have to know what Jesus lived, how he lived. We have to know what his example was for each and every one of us. And when we do that and we start trying to live that way, the Holy Spirit can work with inside of us and transform us. 
It's called spiritual growth. That's called spiritual growth. Second, a godly mom prays. A godly mom prays. It says in verse 10, her deep anguish, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servants, misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. I think as moms, we try to do it all. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> as moms, we try to do it all. Hannah realized that she couldn't do it all. There was something about her that she couldn't do herself. So she had to turn to her Heavenly Father. She chose to turn to her Heavenly Father. She prayed that he would give her a son. And she did. She prayed. She prayed fervently. Sometimes all we can do is pray. You know, we get, we get a period of time with our kids. For Hannah, unfortunately for her, it was only just a few years, literally a few years before she turned him over to Eli. But we only get a short time with our kids. Maybe it's 18 years to raise them up in the way that they should go so that they don't stray far from it. And we should be praying for them during that period of time and guiding them and teaching them and, and showing them what it looks like to live a godly life. But sometimes, maybe all we can do is pray. As our kids get older, we can offer advice and we can pray for them. And, and, and maybe we can't even offer them advice. Maybe they're not even uh, around for us to even be able to offer them advice. I would just say that, once again, this is, a, this is a message that's not just for you moms. This is for all of us to remember that the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Powerful enough to bring a son to Hannah who was barren and had been barren for, for many, many years. A godly mom teaches her children. A godly mom teaches her children. 1 Samuel says that Hannah stayed at home and nursed her son until she had been weaned, until he was weaned. Hannah made motherly motherhood a priority in her life. She actively poured out her life, love, and care into her baby boy. I think in society we often neglect that res responsibility. I know I do. Um, you know, there are times where uh, I'll have Zeke at home and I'll say, you know, I, I got it like yesterday. I had Zeke pretty much all day. Nikki was out with her mom and, and sister and, and niece, and, and uh, they were shopping. And, and so I had Zeke, and I always tease about having to babysit whenever I have to take care of Zeke. That's a responsibility. I'm not a babysitter. I get it, Nikki. I get it. <laughs> but it's fun to joke about it. It's fun to joke about it. But we do have a responsibility to teach our children. And mothers have a responsibility to teach their, their children. They can teach their children. They can teach our children in a way that, that men cannot. George Washington said at uh, one point that uh, I am what I am today because of my mother. And at a banquet, a distinguished French, off, French officer asked George Washington's mother how she managed to rear such a splendid son. And she replied, I taught him to obey. Obedience. Obedience to God and teach your kids to obey. Then there was, a, uh, there was a preacher who had four sons 
and they all became ministers of the gospel. Maybe it was the story that I just read, those four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't know. At a family reunion, a friend asked one of the sons, which of you is the greatest preacher? Who do you think the son replied was the greatest? The mother. The mother was the greatest preacher. Mothers teach us each and every day, and they don't even realize it. They teach us their preaching sermons by their actions and by their teaching and by what they do each and every day. And finally, maybe one of the toughest ones, one of the toughest characteristics that we learn from Hannah is a godly mom lets go. A godly mom lets go. Now, for me, it's like you turn 18, you better be having a job, you better get out there, and you better be, better be figuring out how to, how to make a living. For moms, maybe not so much. Maybe they want to just try to hold on a little bit longer. Try to hold on just a little bit longer. Listen to verse 24 through 28. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh, at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah kept her word that he had vowed, that she had vowed to turn him over. At three years old, she took him to Eli to begin training under Eli. Thankfully, we have longer than three years, most, most often longer than three years to train our children. We have generally about 18 years. They may not listen to after 12 or 13, but you still have a few years there to influence them after that. And, and we, should be, we should be trying. We should be trying. And I think something happens whenever our kids are, are grown up and they, and they begin to become adults themselves. We spend those 18 years teaching and training and, and, and guiding and directing, more directing than guiding. And then when they become 18 and they start to become adults, we kind of start to transition into an advisor and a friend. We're still their parent. We'll always be their parent. But they won't always take advice and they won't always listen to what we say. So sometimes we have to let go. Sometimes we have to let go. One, one, final, one final story. It's from Barbara Johnson in, in a book that she wrote, Stick a Geranium in Your Hat and Be Happy, writes how she lost two sons to death and another son to a gay lifestyle. It was the last son that grieved her most. He just left and she didn't know where he was. She writes for, that for months she was in a deep depression and had finally decided to end her life. She was going to drive her car off the cliff, but before she could do that, she saw a billboard scaffold that looked like a cross, and it was there that with tears streaming down her cheeks that she heard the voice of God who said, Lay Tim at the foot of my cross. She got out of the car and simulated carrying him and laying him down. She prayed, Lord, I give Tim to you. You are his Savior. I am not. You are God, and I am not. Take good care of my boy. And with that, she walked back to her car. Her depression had lifted, and there was a return of joy in her spirit. She had to let go. She had to let go. If this is where you're at, I hope it's not. But if this is where you're at, then trust that your son or daughter into the hands of the ever-loving God, the ever-capable of God, the 
God is in control. God has a plan. We, can, we cannot quit loving. We cannot forget. Continue loving our kids despite their indifferences and, and how they treat us. Continue loving your kids. So let me wrap up with this. And this is the rest of the story. I'm not Paul Harvey, but this is the rest of the story. rest of the story of Samuel. Because Hannah was obedient to God, because she prayed, because she raised her son up in the way that he should go, because Hannah let go, Samuel became a prophet studying under Eli, the high priest of the time. He was the 15th and final judge of the Israelites. Essentially, he was their leader. He was their military leader. He was their religious leader. He was their political leader. It's who they looked to in this time of the judges. And even though he, Samuel was, took the Israelites out of uh, Philistine oppression and into 20 years of living in peace, the Israelites still wanted a king to rule over them like all of the other nations around them. So Samuel first appointed Saul as the first king of the Israelites. And then later he appointed David as the second king of the Israelites. So all of that in saying this, mothers, you have a direct impact on the course of history. You have a direct impact on the course of history. And we don't say it enough, but thank you for all that you do. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this uh, day. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to come and, and, and honor our mothers and, and just uh, thankful for each, of, each and every one of them and, and how they impact our lives and impact our kids' lives and, and just how they are the glue that holds us together, that holds our family together. We're just so thankful for them, Father. I just pray that your blessing be upon each and every one of them. And, and Father, I just pray a special prayer for those that uh, have mothers that, uh, that are not here today, that are not with them, that can't be with them. Uh, Father, that you would just wrap your loving arms around them and, and, and give them comfort and peace during, during this uh, special day. So, Father, once again, we just ask your blessing upon this uh, day and our mothers, and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.